onto this computer. Hello, this is the Surviving Healthcare Podcast, and I have Rebecca Dutton on the line here, um, and I call her, she's very modest, she doesn't like this uh, description, but I call her the protector goddess of the metal-damaged people. And so, so Rebecca, please tell me your uh, background and uh, your history, and 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 we'll launch into this thing. Thank you, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. It's really kind of you. Well, my background is that I worked in dentistry when I was a teenager, and then unfortunately, I found out in 2004 that I had chronic mercury toxicity and so I will start at the beginning and hopefully we'll we'll go from there and I can answer any of your questions along the way. So I well I was a typical teenager as I wanted to travel and see the world so I trained in the hospitality industry and my my boyfriend at the time didn't want me to work and sociable hours so i so i found a job working in dentistry so i worked for one dentist at a new practice and was solely responsible for the running of the practice as well as being his pa and receptionist i was his nurse too and my work in the surgery involved everything to do with dentistry, taking and developing x-rays, helping with the surgical removal of teeth, or orthodontics, that's straightening the teeth, endodontics, root canals, crown preparations and mixing amalgams, would you believe, in a rubber finger stall, until the silver alloy and mercury were amalgamated. Now, this was particularly bad as I would peer into the finger stall and inhale the mercury vapour. So 80% of the vapour goes to the lungs. So I had no personal protection equipment, gloves, mask or proper ventilation. Uh, this was not common practice during the 1970s to have any sort of protection. I think they protect, I think they protected people in industry if there were over five employees, but in dentistry, because they're often only if, uh, under five people, then they were not protected at all. But I really enjoyed my job as it was varied. So I was doing admin reception nursing and I was involved in caring for people which I really loved but when I look back I'm horrified at the procedures we encouraged such as well we free dental treatment during pregnancy so this in, this included the removal or placement of amalgam fillings and for some with tragic results so our UK government advised this practice to stop in 1998, but many dentists ignored the advice. I remember the dentist placing a blob of amalgam in the end of a root before placing gutta percha root canal filling material. This was called a retrograde filling, which 
was often used in the in the 1970s. It that was, was 50, 54% mercury, those amalgams. Any amalgam is over half yeah. mercury, and which is the so, most toxic metal outside of radioactive metals. It's very abs- reactive absolutely. and toxic. And, and these, these guys are still putting 100 million of these things a year into U.S. mouths. It's incredible. It, it's absolutely shocking. Well, I was told by a journalist for one of the programs that I was involved in that my exposure would have been a thousand times greater than somebody with dental amalgams. So I'm very lucky to be here. But we, I mean, with the retrograde mercury fillings, that they were horrendous as the mercury goes straight into the bloodstream. But we used to do, with the private patients, we used to put chrome cobalt bridges next to gold crowns, next to amalgam fillings. So the galvanic corrosion that was going on was absolutely horrific. So there are little bad, there are battery effects that occur when different metals are inside the body, and these are not well appreciated by dental professionals or orthopedists, and that's what Becky is mm-hmm. describing. Yes, it was, uh, and people were paying a lot of money for us to do that. So I mean, when I think back, uh, I'm just horrified at the the treatments we offered. But when. Um, When I became pregnant during the latter part of my employment, my duties remained the same, apart from not being present when x-rays were taken. But I had a a long, difficult birth, especially as I had preeclampsia and pregnancy-induced hypertension. And these are conditions which can be caused through exposure to mercury. And mercury vapour is fat soluble and will penetrate the placental membrane. So mercury goes straight through the placenta. So the placenta is busy trying to protect the baby, but unfortunately mercury goes straight through. So my daughter grew up to be reasonably healthy, but she had a lot of um, allergies. She had eczema, asthma and sinus problems. Uh, but at the age of 16, we were, I remember we were away on holiday and um, a ballet teacher in the same hotel noticed that my daughter's hips were out of alignment. And she had a look at her and she said, oh, she's got, a, I think she's got a curved spine. Well, because my daughter was 16, she wouldn't let me see her in without a t-shirt over the top so unfortunately I never had the opportunity to see her just in um, her underwear but we were so I took her to my local GP general practitioner and then she saw several other doctors after that and they all said something different unfortunately, including sciatica and growing pains, would you believe? So we were unhappy with the diagnosis. So we decided to take her to a spinal surgeon and he diagnosed her with scoliosis. So she underwent several more tests, including a myelogram, x-rays, a lumbar puncture, nerve tests and an MRI scan which showed a syrinx, which is a a cavity 
in the lumbar region of her spinal cord. Then we went to see a neurosurgeon who diagnosed a condition called syringomyelia, which is a progressive condition usually caused by a spinal tumour or hindbrain hernia. Unfortunately, she had neither. So the neurosurgeon was very confused by this. He hadn't seen anything like it before. Was she symptomatic? Uh, well, she had, uh, she had, I'm trying to think what she, it's going back a long time. Well, we we took her for, an, uh, we arranged for her to have another diagnosis with a second neurosurgeon. And he disagreed with the first diagnosis. And he was rather mystified as to why she developed a syrinx in her spinal cord. But I firmly believe this was, this was the result of her being exposed to mercury in my womb. And I managed to find research studies which state neural tube defects are the result of being exposed to mercury and developed during the first four weeks of pregnancy. So neurotoxins have the ability to interfere with several stages of central nervous system maturation, including individual brain cell growth. So I do think it was connected to that because at the time, I didn't know I was pregnant and I was still working in the surgery, mixing, well, as one of my jobs, mixing a lot of dental amalgam because it was the, the 1970s, which was the drill, fill, bill era. So dentists were paid for each tooth that they filled. So, so they probed these teeth with a little uh, sharp probe and they would frequently stick push the probe hard into any slight defect and they would possibly even create the cavities. Yes. Yes. But they were, uh, they uh, were doing a lot of unnecessary dental work. Just they were to filling money. things that they were filling things that were essentially little cracks and natural, yes. you know, cosmetic flaws in the teeth. I, I had the same experience. And although I didn't have mercury, um, exposures occupationally i've got a few more i ha have a few more amalgams than you ever did <laughs> jeez i had i have 17 and you that's, you that's a lot you had only 12 right i got 12 but it, oh my God. During, i mean they use an inordinate amount of dental amalgam during the 70s and what 60s and 70s because they could just make a lot of money from it so drill, anyway, fill and, drill, fill, and bill. Drill, Go ahead. Drill, Sorry to... It was the drill, fill, and bill era God. where they were very rich dentists, yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, my, my daughter, unfortunately, had to have major spinal surgery because 30 years ago, I didn't know what I know now. And the only option for curvature of the spine 30 years ago uh, was spinal surgery. She had... Um, curvature of over 45 degrees had uh, if I'd have known what I know now which is there are other ways of dealing with scoliosis then I know she could have avoided spinal surgery so she had and a lot I of back pain she had a lot of back pain right she didn't have a lot of back pain but the <laughs> they operated anyway well what he said was he said that 
the surgeon said that if she, if the curvature continued to progress, it would crush her lungs and heart. <laughs> that's so, a pretty strong sales pitch. <laughs> it is, but that's oh, what God. they thought then, which was, I say, the progression now with the obviously the first option they do give to adolescents if they say if they go to the doctors with uh, a curvature of the spine the doctor will refer them to the spinal surgeon yeah the spinal surgeon will say yes you you need um you need surgery whereas what i'm trying to do is to for the doctor to say no first of all we'll try this this and this so the that surgery is the last rather than the first option but so, I, I can discuss that. Um, so, Becky, you, you um, briefly go over your, uh, you know, while we're on the subject, go over your theories about and your pres presentation. Just summarize that about how mercury may actually cause spinal stenosis. Uh, spinal curvature. Well, it's been scoliosis. Scoliosis. Well, it's been known for years that. Uh, Toxins, especially the fish with spinal curvatures, actually have um, have been affected by swimming in water that's been contaminated with heavy metals, and the fish end up with spinal curvatures. One of the first per uh, experts I contacted about this was a professor in Norway who done a lot of research and he actually sent me his book which had a picture on the front of a, the vertebrae of the fish all, all curved so um, I've done a lot of research on the link between mercury and scoliosis and when I joined the MELISA diagnostics team in 2011 I noticed that there was a pattern forming that a lot of people that contacted me through Melissa or my support group also had scoliosis. So being a very curious person, <laughs> I asked Professor Stieschkal if I could conduct research on the link between mercury and scoliosis. And she herself uh, had scoliosis and was convinced it had been caused by the amount of she had a lot of dental amalgams in her mouth. So she gave me the go ahead. And over a, a 10 year period, I collated evidence. Um, I, If somebody contacted me regarding uh, mercury toxicity or sensitivity, and they had scoliosis, I asked them if they would be prepared to join my research study and they would always say yes so so i had them tested tested with melissa melissa um, is the metal sensitivity testing that um the company that you're affiliated with and that you've yes. worked with so closely for well over a decade so yes. uh, um we're kind of off down a side uh trail right so let's let me just have you describe your uh your your misadventures with um, 
you know, getting your amalgams removed and your detox process and so on and so forth, and then uh, develop your um, relationship with uh, Meliza. Uh, .org, M-E-L-I-S-A.org, which is the testing service out of the UK. Uh, before we we return to your story about the scoliosis, I'm sorry to push you around here, but I am trying to keep keep this thing in, in, appropriate for the most general uh, listener. Yes, absolutely. Well, in it was just by chance that I discovered in 2004 that I had chronic mercury toxicity. So bearing in mind that I was exposed to a lot of mercury from working with it in the 70s, then I was diagnosed in 2004 with chronic mercury toxicity. And that came about because I'm digressing a bit. After my daughter had had spinal surgery, and she'd had the metal rods and screws put into her spine, she developed lots of other allergies. And that's commonplace, I found since, that if um, a person has a metal implant, they will often go on to develop other allergies, even something as bizarre as just sugar, with sugar. So I decided to take her to an allergy specialist. And at the time, I was having terrible problems with insomnia, depression, and I had a hand tremor. So I decided to go and see what the specialist would say about me. Anyway, she ran a variety of tests and then said, well, Becky, I've never seen anybody with such a high level of mercury before in all <laughs> my you 25 years of practice. You don't remember what, and she actually ran the test. God bless her. She She's a neurologist, right? And she couldn't, she couldn't believe it. You so don't I remember thought, the number. You don't remember the number. Uh, no, I don't remember the number, yeah. but I, I was in denial and I thought she can't be right. And I said, well, I did work in dentistry in the seventies. And she said, well, that's what it will be. So I went home and I thought, well, I don't believe her. <laughs> I was in denial. And then after a couple of days, out of, again, out of curiosity, I thought I would make an appointment with a doctor in Leicestershire that I knew was an expert in mercury toxicity. And he treated, and this will interest you, Robert, because he treated over 3,000 patients with multiple sclerosis. And he told me that out of the 3,000, only five were not connected to mercury. And you had cures after you um, detoxed them. Is that, or you, he saw many, many cures. He saw MS. many, many cures. I remember he told me that he had one uh, MS patient that he treated whose first visit was in a wheelchair, but on the last visit walked out of his surgery just with wow. a walking stick. So, so he was very enthusiastic. He thought he could help me, but unfortunately, I well, I knew nothing about mercury testing at that stage because because I was uh, a novice. And he performed a, a Kalma test on me, which is a mercury challenge test using dimercaptosucinic acid, which is DMSA. 
which is a chemical collator. And this test produced an increase of 857% in my mercury levels. So they went up, they went up eight times from an already high level. Yes. Or almost nine times. Yeah. Eight and a half times. Yeah. Nearly nine times. Excuse me. And the test made me feel incredibly unwell. I had hallucinations. I had brain burning and it was, um, that's why I'm so, I'm so against chemical collators because I've seen the negative effects of them. And I've obviously had experience myself. So the chelators, uh, they push the urine, or I'm sorry, they push the uh, metal out of the reserves, wherever it is, and into the bloodstream, and then hopefully into the urine. Uh, but they produce yes. they produce these symptoms because your blood levels go up so high. That's right. But such tests can be extremely dangerous for sensitive patients, as they produce a lot of free mercury to flow around the body. How long were you and, sick? How long were sorry? you sick? How long were you sick? Um, I, I think about, I was probably sick for, I, I didn't feel right for about 12 months. Oh my gosh. But because what has happened. So you didn't I mean, go back to see that guy, did you? No, no, <laughs> you I to, did. Well, you have to ghost have, people like that. I, I I'm not, I'm not laughing because it's funny. It's just a, it's a, it's a black humor kind of a thing. You, you know what I mean? He, well, it was actually, it was the only test available for a mercury challenge test in those days. I mean, it's really not necessary to do an actual test. It's far better. See, I didn't know about the MELISA test at that stage. So that's not, that's just a blood draw. So it's not actually invasive and it's a much kinder and, um, uh, you know, it's not an invasive test. So I'd never recommend anything that would, stir things up because what had happened with me is that it it sent mercury around my body which was not being excreted and the kidneys not designed to take mercury because the molecules are quite big and they can get stuck in the kidneys and cause renal failure so the strategies Um, are different than other metals and involve trying to get the metal excreted in the stool Absolutely. They don't say I can talk you about talk to you about safety toxification as we as we move on, but I would never recommend any collators that take mercury through the kidneys. Um, it's just not a safe way to go. They're really safe collators now. So an EDTA, um, which is the well-known one, that's a big mistake for mercury toxicity. Yes, I've well the nephrologist that I know, the kidney consultant I know, said EDTA should never be used for mercury detoxification. And in my mind, DMSA and DMPS, which is just the injectable form of uh, dimecaptosucinic acid, should never be used either, because it's not one size fits all. We're all different, and if if one is a poor excretor and the elimina- the elimination pathways are not working properly, you know, for whatever reason, then um, then one is in trouble. So um, anyway, to cut a long story short, I then had to go to 
uh, mercury free de- not many dentists wanted to touch me because <laughs> they, they didn't they didn't want to get exposed to the same mercury that they put inside <laughs> of you i mean it's an outrage <laughs> the same way in the united states even now and the the, mm. the the people who deal with this are the what is it ioamt is that the acronym yes that's right dentists. yes those are those people they're they're a bio, they call themselves biological dentists and they're willing to take the personal risk of trying to get this toxic horrible stuff out of people's teeth and let me tell you they're busy and they're not cheap but they they use um uh, you know suction machines and separate air supplies they they freaking go around in hazmat suits and they're they're willing to to uh, expose themselves to mercury to save us so it's yes and that's i'm scheduled with one of those guys uh in august so go ahead sorry sorry to interrupt that's, you i'm just trying to clarify no, 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 for the lay audience <laughs> i had uh well, I had 12 amalgams removed in, oh, it was just over a, a two-day period. Now, I know a lot of dentists will do it in quadrants. So they do one quadrant, one day, and then so on and so forth. Um, I had some very big amalgam fillings because that's the nature of, of amalgams. They had to take a lot of the tooth material away to to fit the amalgam, whereas the it's the opposite with composites they can take very little tooth material away to fit composites so so I the have... composites are the white things that yes. are more cosmetically acceptable most of those have some metals in them and possibly should be avoided if you're medical metal sensitive but uh, there is at least one called s-a-r-e-m-c-o ceramco which doesn't as far as my research goes now that doesn't seem to contain any metals these things are harder to insert they're more technically difficult and they're more expensive and the amalgams have been used promiscuously because they're it's easy for the dentist to make money on these welfare programs by putting the amalgams in the the people who can't afford to pay pay for them and uh, subjecting them to all that toxicity so sorry to interject but it just seems like oh thank you no it's uh I mean, I think we've probably moved on a bit further in the UK since, um, well, in 2014, I was appointed uh, lead activist to represent the UK in the Minamata Treaty. And part of that was the EU ban, which came into force in 2018, and that was to, uh, to ban dental amalgam in all children under 15 and pregnant nursing women. So that was really good. And I've since heard that from Charlie Brown, the attorney that appointed me in 2014, um, I've since heard that the EU want to ban dental amalgam completely by 2025 they so should do it yesterday and they, they've got Absolutely. there's four countries i think that have banned it completely and criminalized dental use of it and they can throw these guys in jail if they catch them uh, and i believe it's germany and two of the nordic co- countries it might uh, be yes. uh, sweden and denmark mm. but but well, they i mean these guys should be thrown in jail right now i mean they're they're just they're criminals this stuff is intensely toxic. It's a pre-Civil War technology. It is. It is. And when I worked with it, the frightening thing is they knew how dangerous 
it was for women for the women in in the dental industry to handle it but they allowed it and i i mean i looked at the iaomt website the other day about pregnant women because when i was pregnant when i worked there and i was and it says that they advise that pregnant women should not work uh, in the, in the dental surgeries I think you call them dental clinics, don't you, in America? Yeah, that's right. So things things have moved on. I say not so much in your country as they have in mine. But um, so going back to my treatment, so I had 12 amalgams removed and a piece of amalgam in my jaw that had migrated from probably the removal, extraction of a tooth. Into the bone. And in the bone which is highly dangerous i know this from one of the dental surgeons i know he said it because of the mercury can just keep going round and round the body and really interesting i used to get a lot of tmj so i'd get my jaw would dislocate which my partner thought was hilarious because i couldn't speak for at least an hour and oh. <laughs> which, uh, <laughs> Becky, you've got a sense of humor about it. I'm. It doesn't. It's not actually very funny. Uh, <laughs> it was very painful, and it would it would just come out even with cleaning my teeth or perhaps eating a piece of apple. Then I'd have to take myself off to the dentist, where he would. I'd open my mouth, and he would put his thumbs on. Yeah, my I'm back trained to do that. Teeth. You you yeah. you wrap and your thumbs in uh, gauze, and you put your thumbs on the molars, lower molars, and you pull the thing, you pull the jaw down and towards you, and that relocates yes. it pretty handily. It, it's not difficult to do. You can probably almost do it yourself, or you can get somebody to do it for you. Not not pleasant, <laughs> but since 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 I've had the piece of amalgam and my dental amalgams removed from my mouth. My jaw doesn't, it hardly ever comes out. If it does, it goes back in very quickly. So um, that's another thing. Muscles move away from metal. So my jaw would be, the muscles around the amalgam would be really tight and and cause the problems in the, in the first place. You didn't have any root canals because those are even worse. You stick a lot of mercury amalgam up inside those things, don't you? as a routine well the the thing with root canals is that often they, they they'll put the well in my day we used to put the blob of mercury in the root then the gutta percha the the root canal material or endometrosome which was a, a horrible uh material because that was contained formaldehyde oh, then we put God. Um, an amalgam on top of that, then of course the tooth had to be protected. So on top of the whole of that, there would go a lovely metal crown, which was nickel bonded because most dental crowns in the 70s and 80s and still it, for the cheaper in, in our country, NHS, National Health Service, use cheaper materials. So they're often nickel bonded. And um, ni so nickel nickel has a five to thirty percent allergy rate. It's the most allergic, highly allergic metal. Yes, yes, it is. So you can imagine 
the effect of having a tooth with so many different metals and that and of course if the tooth needed more support then a, a stainless steel post would go in as well underneath the dental amalgam um, there's many 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 occult infections or infections that aren't perceived by the patient until you take the whole nonsense out and you can smell them sometimes yeah so so what happened to you after that were, were you sick for a while you were sick for a year after you got your amalgams out and had uh, all that testing no no um so i had during that time um i had during my the amalgam removal i had vitamin c infusions so iv vitamin c infusions and uh, which were followed by glutathione glutathione is the master antioxidant and that's so the vitamin c would really sort of whoosh the sweep the mercury out of the body and the glutathione would pick it all up and take it out of the body did that encourage when, excretion by the stool did that put it into the bowel or how did it work yes it put it into the bowel and and the and the urine uh but I could smell metal wow. when I when I passed urine. So I thought I was getting rid of all of it. But anyway, I'll talk about that as well. So there were three stages to my treatment. So one stage one was preparation stage. So I received supplement powders, oils, and gut bacteria. And so the powders were a mixture of antioxidants, minerals, and amino acids designed to help each stage in sequence. And I was advised to eliminate sugar and grains from my diet and also alcohol, caffeine and undiluted fruit juices. So stage two was the dental treatment. So removal of all amalgams. And these were replaced by ceramic inlays. And they've been brilliant. I still have them now and they've been absolutely fantastic. And composites. So... Um, my infusions were given intravenously in my arm and I had vitamin C and glutathione in Ringer's lactate solution. And this allows high doses of vitamin C to be given without any dizziness, fainting or other problems. Now, in, the 50, in, in the 50 gram range, in the 50 gram range, yes, which is, yeah, it's about 50, 60 gram range. And I don't know how much glutathione uh, was used, but I have, con on your behalf, I have contacted three UK IAOMT dentists. I know two of them use uh, IV vitamin C infusions during, during yeah. yes, and I'm checking with them. Uh, because I do trust IAMT dentists more than any others. And I just want to check for you to uh, to make sure that that would be possible for your treatment. But um, uh, our, I, our friend Mark Kin Kinnard uh, from New Zealand uh, was concerned because he is so incredibly sensitive that any alteration in his mercury level sends him into orbit. I mean, he basically has to lay down for two weeks if anything happens. So he thought that detox was um, was a little bit risky, but I'm an ordinary 
allergy profile and not somebody who's constitutionally uh, uh, sensitive to every metal like he is. So I think it probably is okay, but I really appreciate your looking into it for me and uh, you know yeah go ahead it's the least i can do and i was fine with them and considering you know my level my levels of mercury and i'm sensitive because i don't have a gallbladder because uh, unbeknown to me that was well the gallbladder is a major organ of detoxification and so a lot of the mercury ended up in my gallbladder with along with 76 gallstones so this you got your gallbladder removal after this initial identification of your problem so yeah i had i had the gallbladder (laughs) removal before i knew i had mercury chronic mercury toxicity so in in other words and i was told this by the nephrologist it was twice as difficult for me to detoxify because the gallbladder it produces bile and bile acts like soap and washes away toxins every day. So now I have to take supplements that help produce bile so that I can, so I don't get too toxic. But every so often I do, um, I have, do some gut treatment to help, help my gut to detoxify. So you think you have a chronic bodily mercury load that still is there and you're still having to, eject it uh slowly over time is that correct no no i don't i don't have any mercury left in my system because in so i'll i'll just go back a bit in 2007 um after my dental treatment i decided to set up a website and a support group because when i went through treatment i felt very alone and my doctors had treated me as though, well, they stereotyped me and said I was a depressive menopausal woman. And um, I didn't want other people to go through that. So that I set up a su- support group and chose a um, very highly qualified nephrologist who also had a PhD in mucosal immunology and was experienced environmental toxicity so i could refer patients to her and then i must myself in 2010 after dealing with some more dental personnel decided to see her and she ran some specialist tests on me which uh showed that i had i still had mercury and aluminium on my intracellular pathways and DNA. So she, I had treatment with her over six month period. And it was that treatment. She said it would say, take me a lot longer to, to clear my body of mercury. Because of course the synergistic effect of two metals doesn't make one and one do not make two. It makes a far greater number. So, so for the listeners, aluminum, aluminium, yes. as uh, Becky says over there at Strat- Stratford on Avon, where she is now, um, is the second most common toxic metal exposure. And it's been added to vaccines in a demonic move to poison us all. Uh, at least that's my theory. Um, when the mercury was taken out, 
and there's still there's still some mercury in uh flu vaccines you know some of the flu vaccines which i don't know how they get away with it but they there's such a hollow blue about mercury that 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 was more or less removed and then they start adding aluminum i mean it's, it's crazy anyway sorry to interrupt you i just trying to clarify fine well mine wasn't because my um my exposure to aluminium was probably from when when i was uh, being brought up at home my mother had aluminium pans and she would cook we had a lot of fruits in the garden and rhubarb and things like that and she would poach them in the aluminium pans of course something like rhubarb is very acidic so I should think it was pulling some of the aluminium I think that's where I would have um, from got it got it from so sorry to interrupt one more time do you think that the nephrologists or kidney doctors are the best suited to deal with this sort of metal problem? Because you, you seem to have had a very good knowledgeable practitioner there. Is that the best specialty? Well, I just happened to, I did a lot of research to find, obviously I felt very responsible. If I was running a support group, I wanted to recommend the best doctor for people to go to. And so this one was highly qualified and a nephrologist. Yes, that's perfect because at one stage I had chronic kidney disease stage three. And I should think from all my mercury exposure. And this is absolutely unbelievable. But the way she she treated me within over a six month period, this was probably in... Um, it was some time after my treatment, but she, uh, I had an antifungal diet, a nice statin, and within six months, my kidney uh, levels were back to normal. Can, so, before you go on, she, can you just define detox? Is detox is EDTA and chelators plus vitamin C plus glutathione? Is that it? There are lots of different there are lots of different detoxifiers. One thing I will not do is ever recommend a, a person to detoxify themselves at home because it often takes a long time for mercury to become a real problem in the body. And then if other other metals are added or more treatment, it takes a while to build up. So it's a bit like a bucket and then suddenly it becomes oh it overflows and the body can't deal with any more and the and the liver and the kidneys are not working properly to eliminate it so there are lots of different detoxifiers zeolite there's um uh what's zeolite zeolite uh i'm not 100 i just know is that from, a binding a binding resin that gets uh, it, excreted in your stool is you take it orally and then it I it pulls the stuff out into the i don't think i think i mean chlorella coriander there are all sorts of things i've had patients where they've taken chlorella and one would assume that that would be fine to take that but if they um if they're slow detoxifiers then all it does is it pushes the mercury around the body the one thing I've learned is that you you need something that's going to collate just means to grab hold of and 
pull out of the body. That's what it means. So you need something that's going to grab hold, pull it out and eliminate eliminate it out, outside of the body. But a lot of the collators just drop it before it's eliminated. So stir things up, of, in other words. Stirs things up, yes. So the most it redistributes the mercury. The most successful treatment I had was with the nephrologist, and I had IV uh, infusions of phosphatidylcholine followed by folinic acid, followed by glutathione. And I had 23 of them and also had a specialist diet and supplements to take during the six-month period. And the brilliant thing about phosphatidylcholine is that uh, it uh, takes the metals, chemical, metals or chemicals off the cell membrane, so it washes them away from the cell membrane. But because the cell membrane is made up of phospholipids, uh, mainly phosphatidylcholine, then at the same time, it repairs the cell membranes. And you cannot be healthy unless you have healthy cell membranes. So after that treatment, after six months, I had no mercury or aluminium on my intracellular pathways or my DNA. So all my cells were clear. And that was perfectly a perfectly safe route. Now I had to have IV infusions, but from 2007, I've seen patients take phosphatidylcholine orally and within three to six months, they could be clear of the metals chemicals so it works well taken orally it just takes twice as long and that's what and so that's not i mean let's face it if 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 you have mercury in the body do you want to use another chemical to remove to remove the mercury you want to have something that's going to be safer than a chemical to to extract the mercury out of the body so the and people who why, do this are the functional doctors in America. I think they that's what they call them or the holistic doctors. But I, not all those guys are created equal. So you need to sort of uh, figure out and maybe get a referral from the IOAMT. Is that the full acronym group? Uh, I'm not sure uh, if they know about the protocols that I had. There are doctors in America that use them. I know that Professor Boyd A. Haley has brought out a new treatment as well to a new um, mercury detoxifier because he's an expert in mercury. Uh, he was a professor of chemistry at the University of Kentucky. And he's he um, I know he's brought out a new treatment, but I can't comment on that because I haven't tried it. I just know what's worked for me. And also all the patients I've helped since 2007. So, and I've seen their test results. They've shown me their test results, bless them, before and after. So I know that uh, I can see that they've made massive, they've had massive improvements in their health. In their blood level. Is that in correct? The, yes. Yeah. Yes. 
So, and I'm still, I just feel so lucky because the people that, the dental personnel that followed me at the same dental practice when I gave up, um, some of them have got dementia, some have cancer and some have died. So, but they didn't have any treatment. So I, I know that um, I'm extremely lucky and I, and I consider myself to uh, be very, very fortunate. But I, I was going to tell you about um, in 2008, I was asked to do the research for a programme called What's in Your Mouth for ITV Tonight. And so, so Terry Pratchett, the author was on the programme and he was very keen to have his dental amalgams removed because he'd been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And after the after he'd had all of his dental amalgams removed, he jokingly said to his dentist, oh, um, do you think I could keep some of the amalgam, please? And perhaps have it have them have it made into cufflinks. <laughs> oh <laughs> my dentist, gosh. The dentist was absolutely appalled and he said, You can't have that. It's an environmental hazard. <laughs> we have to dispose of it properly. And he said, But I've just had it in my mouth for 30 years. Yeah, no kidding. And that's what I always quote to people when they say, oh, it's not dangerous. My dentist says it's not dangerous. But I say, well, you know, they have to follow the instructions of how to dispose of it because it's a it's a it's a dental hazard. And then the another person that was interviewed on the program was the CEO of the British Dental Association. And he was asked by the presenter, if he knew that it was mercury in dental amalgams and and how much. And he didn't know now. So he he laughed and he put his hands, he covered his hands over the the lens of the camera and just and and chanted la 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 because he didn't know how to answer the questions. And he was responsible for the country's dental health which was appalling so that was another story and then um it uh when i was having treatment when my when i was having my dental amalgams removed i remember a, a patient from france turning up she had it was either i think she had ms and she developed it after she had a barometer on the a weather barometer on the wall and it had fallen onto the floor and oh, broken and unknowing unknowingly she she vacuumed the mercury globules up got the caused, stuff in the air it was yeah, aerosolized and she it's so dangerous oh, and a few months later, she had, was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. But I have known, I've known myself, patients that were diagnosed with MS, that once their dental amalgams were removed, then all the neurological uh, problems have disappeared. I mean, my my tremor, my I had a very bad tremor. That's a million times. It's just 
very, very slight now, but it, compared with how it was, it's, um, you know, I, I know that uh, I, I would have, uh, I would have had something by now. I'm say I'm, I'm very lucky. So Ken Stoller, who's a recent interview of mine, who wrote the book uh, Incurable Me, uh, he presents convincing evidence that uh, the primary neurological problems of the day, which are in order of frequency, um, uh, the uh, senile dementia, what's that called? I, I, get, I must be getting it. Number two is Parkinson's. Number three, uh, probably uh, either... Alzheimer's. Yeah, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's uh autism and uh als which is lou gehrig's disease these are all closely related they're all syndromes so they have no definitive lab tests and they're also all toxic exposures and they can be remediated by removing the toxic exposure and there's very convincing evidence a lot of this is mercury toxicity because uh, certainly we know that the vaccine damaged kids who get autism we know that's mercury damage because right after they get the vaccines, we've had 10,000 plus kids fall down to the floor and start banging their heads and never talk again. So if that yes. isn't, if that's, we don't need a double blind study with that kind of evidence, do we? Um, yeah. So, um, so, so anyway, this is a huge public health problem and you're, you're, um, you know, you, you're not a, I, I hope you, you can get some support of some kind. I really appreciate what you're doing and especially for me. You're very, you're very welcome. I I was also going to. I have got lots of stories, um, if I can remember them all. But one <laughs> one particular one was um, a friend of mine uh, had um, frequent heart arrhythmias, and he had five heart, uh, ablation treatments to where they they stopped the heart and then they restarted again to try and get the heart back into rhythm. And he, when I saw him, he said, oh, I'm going for my sixth heart ablation. And I said, oh, knowing you know, what I knew about mercury, uh, and then Professor Boyd Haley has written a lot about the heart problems and mercury toxicity. So I said to my friend, oh, have you, it could be connected to your dental amalgams. How many do you have? And he said, 10. I said, Oh, um, would you be prepared to see the nephrologist in London for her advice? And then I will refer you to a mercury-free dentist in London. So he, I was really surprised because he <laughs> went along with it and he saw the nephrologist. And then I, she was uh, giving him treatment to protect him before, during and after treatment. So helping with the gut and diet and, and supplements and things like that. So then after a couple of months, he went to the mercury-free dentist and had all of his dental amalgams removed. Never suffered with another heart arrhythmia after it had them removed. Rebecca, you've had many, many, many experiences with people who got their amalgams removed and it was as if somebody laid hands on them, they got up and walked or they they never had a neurological problem again or they improved vastly in their symptoms. So I appreciate a few stories about that. That'll help us get a feel I think for it. it's just um, 
it's just everything has to be done properly and under the supervision of a clinician experienced in environmental toxicity and then the dentists I prefer the IAOMT dentists because they're trained in the SMART technique, but dentists that are mercury-free and use all the right, the correct protocols, and that's with a rubber dam, separate air supply, uh, properly, uh, proper filtered air in the in the dental clinic. Um, so the patient is covered uh, with um, protective clothing and the drills of uh, uh, high speed drills that cut the amalgam into chunks to remove um, safely. And then, so I will never recommend a conventional dentist that says, oh yes, I can do that. I'll remove them. No, they can't. They have yeah, I, to I put them all, I put them all in. I, I should know how to take them out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's yes. just, it's just, you just have to laugh. It's so crazy. It, it is really crazy. But as long as the, the removals are done uh, safely with the right protocols and one is protected with a good diet beforehand, so the health of the patient is vital before the amalgam removal. I would stress that. Um, that so best not to have any amalgams removed if if uh, patient's health is not not good and so, sorry. go ahead sorry go ahead um i was going to say i've missed out a big chunk <laughs> of uh what on my timeline because what happened in 2008 i said i was noticing that a lot of the patients that were contacting me with mercury toxicity sensitivity, also had scoliosis. So um, I set up a website. I was asked to set up a website with a former BBC uh, Newsnight uh, culture correspondent of BBC Newsnight. She herself had scoliosis. And then I started um, collating all the evidence for my research study which I produced in my presentation in 2018 on scoliosis spinal surgery metal allergy and spinal surgery I've linked that I've linked that in my post so the listeners can uh, have a look at that and also your websites mercurymadness.org and understandingscoliosis.org yes they they need updating but um I, as all my work is voluntary, I have, I have, I don't have the money at the moment to update them. So they're very old fashioned, but they do have a lot of information on them. Well, you know, I've got a confession to make, and that is I was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease about six weeks ago. And that, that lens, uh, you know, now I have a, I have a, horse in the race <laughs> you know so i'm i've been working very hard for five years to under uncover a lot of stuff but now i'm quite concerned about uh, my own situation and whether i can remediate my parkinson's by e eliminating toxic exposures and i'm working on several of these things 
But um, Becky was kind enough to tell me, I filled out a form for the MELISA test, M-E-L-I-S-A, that's the acronym, MELISA.org. Um, and she told me that I had a considerable amount of mercury exposure during my life uh, with the 17 amalgams and the fill, the drill, fill and bill era. And I probably have a metal, metal crown on a molar. I don't know. You know, I like everybody else. I never look back there and they're bonded with nickel. So I could have a nickel allergy. I, she also um, discussed, I have clips in one knee, which are stainless steel, and they may have some battery or current effect with the amalgams, which as I understand, can produce more rapid release of mercury from the amalgams. And my, I've got my shoulder implants, which have chromium and cobalt. I mean, I've, and then I've had the flu vaccine and I, I hate to admit this, but I have a uh, relatively small smoking history for 10 years, about two cigarettes a day. But I, I, you know, I say I was stressed and the, I had exposure to contact lens solution with thimerosal, which is mercury also. So um, Becky's been kind enough to counsel me and point me in the right directions. And she's still working on my, I'm, I'm quite a project, aren't I, Becky? You are. Can <laughs> <laughs> I, I help you? <laughs> so. You, I know you will, I know you will get better. So. Well, she's very reassuring. If, if I can do it, but if I can do it, and this is why one of the reasons I set up my support groups, I thought, well, if my exposure was a thousand times greater than somebody with dental amalgams, then, and I'm still here and fairly coherent, <laughs> um, then I'm sure that it gives other people hope and that's, you never take that away. My family members think I'm crazy. <laughs> No, so, no, you're not. You're not. I hope I'm not. not. At all. No, <laughs> you can never tell from the inside whether you're crazy or not, right? <laughs> anyway, um, so what? Let me just ask you about selenium uh, and mercury. I mean, that's something that some people recommend. <clears throat> well, for myself, I know again right at the beginning with the first doctor, um, the one that did the mercury challenge test on me he gave me quite a high dose of selenium and that it didn't suit me at all so again it's an individualistic how does one know because we're all so different uh how much selenium one one should take but i just uh as i say the treatment i had in 2010 I didn't have selenium then and I had oh no I'm sorry I did I took one drop a day in water just one drop which was um <clears throat> it was absolutely fine for me but um have you been advised to take selenium before oh, your treatment? Or? I've, I, you know, Becky, I've got a lot of advisors and I read a lot of sources. And so mm -hmm. that's just one of the things that came up. And if you if you take all the advice, you might as well just give half your paycheck if you're still working to Dr. Mercola and leave it at that and tell him to send you send you whatever he has that week because there's all there's all kinds of things. Um, the other question I had for you was, what about silica water for aluminum detox? Did you do that? I have heard that uh, there's one particular, I think it's Volvic that's supposed to be really good for 
um, removal of aluminium. I per I think you have to drink quite a lot of it. Um, that's not really my area of expertise, but when if you if you look at uh, Professor Chris Exley's uh, presentation, which is after mine in the um, systemic effects of of uh, metal allergy in clinical practice, the one from the conference in 2018. He talks a lot, he's the expert on aluminium. I think he talks about it in um, in his presentation. So again, if I'm not 100% clear about something, I will recommend a person who is. Actually has a recent book, Imagine You Are an Aluminum Atom or you would yes. say aluminum, aluminium. Um, and aluminium, he's, he's got quite a droll sense of humor and I've gotten started on it and hope to learn a little bit more about aluminum. aluminium. Yeah. He's, the, he's the person to to consult if you, if you want any advice regarding aluminium. I, I've got all those references in, your, uh, in my uh, presentation about you, plus more about my PD, Parkinson's disease. But I'm, I'm quite grateful for your time, Becky. And I, oh, you're very welcome. I hope you're not irritated with me about Becky is so modest. She doesn't like this. Me putting the title, the protector goddess of the medical metal damage. She doesn't like that title, but it is a wonderful clickbait. So I think I'm going to have to leave it up there. If I, if you don't, if you don't threaten me with, with ghosting me, you promise you're not going to do that. Right. I won't do that. No. What's that? No, I won't do that. Okay, I've got you recorded. <laughs> so is there anything else you need to add? Well, if I think you've put my presentation on your uh on your website, haven't it's, you? So, it not yet. It's it it's it's yeah. only that private link so far. So you can look at that Thank link you. and I'll change anything you want. It won't drop for a week or two because mm -hmm. I've I've got I've got 30, 30 drafts and there are three or four of them that I want to get out sooner. And I only put out one every three days. Okay. Thank you. I, what I did want to mention was um, just briefly, cause I know we've, we've probably take, I've taken too much. Of no, it's time. okay. You're not taking too much of my time. We want to talk what? about Melissa briefly too, and the company and so on. So yes, go ahead. Thank you. Um, well, I, one thing that, uh, came about when I was during my research on the link between mercury and scoliosis was that um, another uh, interesting um, point that came up was that I seemed to be dealing with a lot of people that had rhesus negative blood type and it, I don't know if it's the same in America as it is in the UK but in my day when during pregnancy we were issued with um a donor card with our blood type on it so i knew mine but these days women are not issued with any sort of record of, of their blood type so over the 10-year period it took me a long time to check people's blood types uh what transpired was that out of the 51 participants in my study over 50 percent had rhesus negative blood type, which is really interesting because it's only between five and seven percent of the population have rhesus negative blood type. And I had 
21 with rhesus negative O and five with rhesus negative A. So it's out of 51 people that, that knew their blood types. And very interesting was that 14 of them, either the mothers or the, the children, so they were high in mercury, also with scoliosis, had had the mothers had had the anti-D immunoglobulin vaccine, which is the vaccine they give to rhesus-negative mothers when the baby has a different blood type, so it avoids blood incompatibility. And between 1968 and 2001, that vaccine contained thimerosal, which is ethyl mercury, mercury preservative. And I had 14 that had been affected by that vaccine. So also in my study, I did a lot about rhesus negative blood type. If anybody's interested, and I can actually spot somebody with that blood type as well, just by looking at them, which is a bit, I uh, uh, probably upset a few people when I, when I tell them to their face. But uh, so that was another interesting um, point that, that uh, came about with my research. Nice. So and let's go ahead. Sorry. I was just, uh, what I did uh, state in my presentation that, uh, that people with this type of blood type were more sensitive to mercury, uh, mercury and metals. And the other group that's extremely sensitive to metals are people with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And I've helped a lot of patients with EDS. It's interesting. Oh, well, let me just in, in that, uh, Bit, last bit that you talked about, let me just drive a stake into the vampire's heart in one spot. If anybody who's listening to my uh, substack or reading my stuff ever considers getting a vaccine of any kind, they're a complete idiot. I mean, these things are universally toxic. They've never been studied with double-blind placebo-controlled trials, never. And so they don't work. And they, they're create higher mortality, higher overall death rates than if you don't take them. And the, the COVID vax, of course, is beyond ridiculous. It's a bioweapon that's designed to kill us. So, so that's, that, that pretty well uh, sums it up. I'm sorry if you're, you're, uh, you're not quite in concert with that, but uh, maybe you'll read my stuff and understand it. Um, th th at the end of this thing, let's just chat briefly about the testing. And I had another kind of testing called Biocomp, B-I-O-C-O-M-P, for designed for dental materials. And there are literally thousands or tens of thousands of dental materials available, and they all have something different inside of them. And most of them have metals, even if they're not amalgams. And so this testing, uh, you know, I don't understand exactly what uh, Melissa testing, how it, it works. And I don't understand this stuff, but it's a different method and it, it gives other perspectives. And it showed that I have special sensitivity to uh, both mercury and aluminum. So that's a little disconcerting, but at least we've identified uh, a potential reason for my uh, development of Parkinson's and my worsening symptoms over the last year. Um, so just address your uh, experience with Melisa and the testing they do and the, the, what, what the group is like and so on. And it's in UK, right? 
Yes, it's in the UK, and the blood's uh, sent to we have uh, to a laboratory in Germany, and so it's a lymphocyte sensitivity test. So lymphocytes are tested with uh, challenged with whichever metals that the patients particularly wants to be tested for, and then they're incubated. The blood uh, the blood's incubated for I think it's for five days. And then the, the reactions are, um, you know, they, they write down the, the reactions. And, uh, of course, nickel is usually the most um, one that the patients are most allergic to. So it's a very useful test. And I say it was not available when I was diagnosed with chronic mercury toxicity. So... It would have saved me a lot of heartache if I'd known about it. But it's a very good test to have to test for, for metal sensitivity, so type four hypersensitivity. And I think you have one in um, I think you also have one in orthopedics analysis in, in America as well, which is yeah. the same. I, I believe it's the same sort of test. The orthos um, are not very sensitized to metal problems they're oh. they're you you know the story i mean you know scott schroeder and all that yes so yes so i i be i joined the team of melissa just on a voluntary basis in when professor stishkal invited me in 2011 so i help people um with their testing uh and then i put them on to uh, one of the senior members to often to do an evaluation and for the recommendations for which metals they should be tested for. Well, and it's, um, go ahead. you can, you can either, I think you can, there are certain places where I know in America you can go to clinics where they will do the test for you and send it off on behalf of the patient. But also uh, we send out test kits the patient to do it themselves and perhaps go to their local GP if they will do the test for them or hospital and then arrange for FedEx to collect the blood. Uh, it can't, you mustn't put it in the fridge. It has to be room temperature and then FedEx will take it, uh, they'll carry it to um, the airports and then it will be flown to within 48 hours. It has to get to the laboratories within 48 hours. So it's a very, very useful test. Well, I, I really appreciate all your help. Uh, and, uh, you're, you're just, you've been so pleasant and collegial. And, uh, I, I know you discuss this stuff all day, every day with all these, all these people. I mean, I can't, and it certainly seems like a much bigger phenomenon, uh, this metal, sensitivity than anyone would in traditional medicine ever acknowledges. I mean, it's, it's crazy that we're not testing people. It's crazy that we're doing mercury amalgams at all, or putting mercury anywhere near the human body in injectable form or in the teeth. And it's crazy that we're not testing prior to doing orthopedic uh, implantation, because some of these people would be better off with their old cranky joints than, uh, than having their life ruined like Mark Kinner did by uh, metal toxicity. And just before we go, I'd like to just say to people, if they do have the flu vaccine, 
<laughs> to, do not to have just, the flu vaccine. It doesn't well, work. If you want to read about its efficacy, go to, uh, there's a, uh, I'm blocking on the name of the, re Co Cochrane Reviews. Just search for Cochrane Reviews, C-O-C-H-R-A-I-N-E Reviews, and then search for influenza. And you you can read the, you just read the abstracts, but it doesn't work at all. I mean, it's it's obscene and it, it it's toxic. So sorry to interrupt you, Becky. I mean, no, I, I feel strongly about this. For some people that do want to have the flu vaccine, um, I'm, and there are some, then I would say, please check when you arrive at your doctor's clinic that and you, you ask your GP to check on the side of the vial that it does not contain thimerosal because some multi-files and some single files still have uh, thimerosal in them. It depends on the manufacturer, but you can imagine if it's the multi-file, then that's, say, what take they take it for about 10 patients, that the person with the last, the last one, because mercury is a heavy metal, it would all sink to the bottom. I don't know if they shape the vial. Um, I dread to think, but if they don't, then of course they're going to get the most mercury out of that one. So please just check the Merisol is not in the vaccine. If it is, do not have it because you're actually having the uh, ethyl mercury injected into your body. Yeah, I, I got news for you. The skull and crossbones is on the ones with the, the Marisol and the ones without the, the Marisol. <laughs> or it oh. should be. <laughs> or it should be. I mean, it's it's crazy. Well, <laughs> thanks again for all your time, Becky. I owe you. And I I I look for I, if I haven't totally annoyed you with the, with my interview style, I look forward to working with you some more. Thank you again. Thank you very much, Robert. Thank okay. you. Bye. Bye bye. Bye.